0: Welcome to the DGR podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone. David here. Welcome back to the DGR podcast. I hope you're all doing well today. I have a great guest for you. I have a, maybe more importantly, a great Irish man on, um, or at least as importantly, I have Colin Griffin. Colin is a strength and conditioning coach. He works in The Santry Sports Surgery Clinic in Dublin, one of the best and most well respected uh, surgery and sports surgery and rehabilitation clinics in the world, I think. Um, Colin is the lead foot and ankle. Rehab specialist up there, and um, he's also just finishing up his PhD in Achilles rehab. He's also, uh, he's also uh, an Olympian in in race walking as well. So he has a lot of experience, a lot of different things. Super, super nice guy, and we chatted all things kind of calf and Achilles rehab today. Uh, assessing, assessing, assessment calf and achilles um biomechanics return to sport return to running strength tests um strength training for all of that stuff i kind of said i think i kind of said to colin like okay i won't uh, like it's, it's an informal chat we usually just i usually just have a chat with someone and i actually ended up or like it's not an interview and i ended up it's not a super interviewee style and i ended up just like peppering him with questions so um i was actually coming off the call i was like oh i really hope that i did i did him and his work justice there with my questions because obviously when someone is doing their phd and stuff like they have spent a lot of time thinking about this topic and a lot of uh, put a lot of work into it so i hope my questions were of uh, a decent enough standard to to do him justice and maybe get the best out of him, but some some of them maybe were, some of them maybe weren't. But I learned a lot regardless, and if I learned a lot, then that usually means that other people will learn things too, because we usually have me and my guests and the people who listen hopefully we all have like similar questions in regards to what to do with this stuff in the foot in the ankle in the achilles in the calf so I think there is honestly a ton to learn I'm looking forward to seeing way more of Colin's work um over over the coming years um I think he's going to become uh or already is like a big name in the industry and it's going to become even more and more and more so so um I think you should keep an eye out and, and any chance you get you should you should um try and connect with him or 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 any of his work that that is out there uh so yeah without further ado um here's colin and obviously if you enjoyed the episode maybe you can give it a share for us or something like that i think we will both appreciate that and um i hope you really enjoy
1: the episode colin thank you so much for joining me how are you doing good thanks david so thanks for having me on um yeah look all good thanks for getting ready for, for christmas as we speak and trying to get phd wrapped up so um yeah busy times but, but looking forward to a little break over christmas as i'm, as I'm sure you do
0: Oh yeah, I was going to message you. I was going to email you saying
1: you could push it back to, to January
0: if you if you needed to. But then I said once I had you, I, I'll like keep keep you in the diary.
1: But um, no, the, right. is the is the PhD done? We're almost there now. Yeah, look, we have a final draft ready to go now. So um, just a few small a small little bit of um, little bit of fine tuning. But um, yeah, the, the most was done now. So, but before I get getting that off now, and hopefully um, have the vibe in the next eight eight, eight to ten weeks. Good man, congrats that's uh
0: how uh how long of a process is that like how long have you been working on that
1: yeah i started um in 2017 so it's been about five and a half years um obviously COVID um pushing back a lot you know that's uh, like as most people who, who are doing research during that time so um and obviously managed to start a family during the during the process too so all those things look okay, it's, it's just part of it you know you just have to, to roll with it and you get a good period of time where you're really productive and get a lot done. have other times then where priorities might change or shift a little bit. So you just have to sort of be flexible and, you know, take advantage when you have opportunity to cover as much ground as you can. And then obviously, you know, um, still have to keep other, keep other balls in there too. At the same time. Mm-hmm. No, I have uh, I've a lot of, I have a lot of respect for people who can pick a
0: project of that size and be able to work on it because, you know, it's going to take so long. And my yeah. attention, my attention span is. No, not so good so um, um mine isn't uh, the best of sometimes either but you
1: know,
0: you know it, uh, I know you find it just it. you just committed to it and had to had to keep going exactly. is there any is there any little secrets or insights you can give or not yet
1: i uh, know i mean happy to talk about it like it's it's um like we've we, we published a protocol paper for our, for the main study in in, in the thesis which was um, a randomized controlled trial for uh, a rehabilitation program for uh, chronic mid-portion achilles tendinopathy in, in in a running population. So. Um, we had a protocol paper published a year and a half ago. Um, so we've preliminary results from that. So basically we were, I suppose, testing a program that we've put together that we kind of do. So based off doing two to three um, targeted strength sessions a week, um, not being dictated solely by pain, but trying to look, look at functional changes as well and hitting certain strength targets and use that to guide progression, to, you know, again, allowing for a maximum level of tolerable pain. And then the other group followed Silver Nagel's uh, pro- protocol um which is research-based and, and, and a good solid program but it's more it's, it's more of a daily-based program and where where progression is guided more so by pain so um yeah look to be the preliminary results uh, we haven't hit our full numbers yet so we will keep that study going even after the PhD is finished just to try and get good numbers and hopefully get a good publication but um there is like a good difference all right in, in outcome measures with, with with our intervention being a little bit better but obviously just the numbers of participants we've had so far wouldn't make it significant at the moment um and then we have another um another study done as well so a t- test retest test reliability and uh, evaluating the biomechanical features of a single like horizontal plyometric exercise so um something that hasn't really been investigated before is that, a lot of stuff out there in vertical plyometrics so um so obviously horizontal is probably a little bit um, under researched so uh, hopefully we can contribute something to that and then we did a test retest reliability for uh an ankle isokinetic test at 30 degrees a second which doesn't which hasn't been used that much over the years a lot of people use 60 degrees a second or 90 degrees a second which are faster speeds and then we also did a reliability on a seated calf isometric test using force bits um so um yeah because there's a few little strands to it but with the main one being that the randomized control trial for, for achilles sending up the rehab mm-hmm. you must have learned a lot uh
0: along the way is there any is there any is there any big things that you would have been doing before that you maybe have changed now or any 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 learnings that? really became apparent as you went on
1: yeah look, you, you go to the whole Dunning-Kruger <laughs> curve, uh, curve you know so um, you realize what you don't know when you get stuck into something mm-hmm. and um, you realise things aren't as black and white as you might as you might have thought at the start so um, and look, I mean there's still a few questions floating out there that that's my PhD won't answer but definitely gives me a little bit more curiosity to explore things a bit further post PhD mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean but with tendinopathies you know we, we we still it's very much individual basis some of the, the the bio biological and even psychological factors that drive achilles tendinopathy and achilles pain and as we having have to take things on a case-by-case basis and knowing how to assess and rule out and then to be able to narrow down your focus and you know a one-size-fits-all doesn't 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 really work for everyone Um so I suppose been a bit more aware and mindful of, that, of the little nuances and um, that you might see from from person to person um, even among a, a healthy, or even among, sorry, not a healthy, but even among an athletic population, um, you know, there's, there's still um, little differences, I suppose, and things might be driving their, their symptoms uh, or may, may have been a factor rather, rather than just a simple load, load capacity mismatch. Um, yeah, and I suppose a bit more of an understanding of the role of the, of the, the, the calf and, and the plantar flexors in performance as well as, um, you know, mitigating lower limb injury risk. Um, and I suppose understanding the role of the calf muscles in certain tasks like a horizontal plyometric exercise and and and, and even during running, which which has been done before. So um, I suppose trying to add a small bit more uh, to that field.
0: With, with regards to one one thing that you see on social media all the time related to what you just said is is um, we're not just I suppose the role is like in different phases of the gait and different movements and stuff like that. But the big thing now is like okay, Soleus has to deal with X times body weight. Mm. What is the X? Because there's, you see like 14, sometimes 12, 10,
1: eight, all different things. Yeah. I mean, at submax speeds, like the infernal forces uh, from the Solace is around, you know, close to 10 times body weight at about seven meters per second based on Tim Doran's paper back in 2012. And even at say slower, steady, you know, jogging speeds to kind of easy running speeds, sit around, you know, seven, eight times body weight. Um, it's just a big muscle, um, with different compartments. Um, and it's got you know it's got a multi-penet fiber arrangement, so it's designed to handle those big forces. It is predominantly type one fiber composition, so it, it's 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 indurable, it, it can repeat that sort of high work but uh, if it's if it's obviously in, well conditioned to do that. Um so yeah, it, it is like for most tasks, like say jumping, whether it's vertical or horizontal, whether it's accelerating, whether it's running steady state or submax speeds, it is by far the biggest muscle force contributor of all the lower limb muscles, you know. Sticks stand by a mile compared to other muscles, even the gastrocs you know, the vastang muscles, the quads, ham, hamstrings, glutes um not saying that the other the others are irrelevant, but just the story is is by far the biggest contributor. So um it definitely deserves a little bit more attention mm-hmm. and it's it's is working very hard in
0: in slower speed running, which makes it yeah. I think probably tricky to rehab, especially when someone has had calf or Achilles issues because I yeah. think in my mind, with a hamstring you can probably get someone running slow enough oh, relatively yeah. soon, but then when yeah. you have calf issues, it's, it's tricky, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And no, I think it's like an inverse, um, you almost have an inverse approach. So if you have a calf injury, it's, it's the volume and even just the, even if they're going slower, it's, it's the volume that's going to get them the duration. Whereas with a hamstring is the speed that's going to get you because you're, you're using your working the hamstrings close to full capacity when you go close to max speed. So, um, you know so uh if you're a distance runner you have a hamstring injury you can probably get away with things that a sprinter can't get away with whereas if you're a sprinter you can probably introduce you know short sprints a little bit earlier and you just got to make sure everything is in order before you start to add you know volume and and um density to, to your work mm-hmm.
0: what if you're a sprinter with a calf injury
1: yeah look i mean it depends i suppose on, on the type of calf injury too so the, the the grade of it and the classification of it and the type of tissue structure involved so if it's a B or a C, so if it's a myotendinous junction or if it's a pure tendon tissue um, injury, um it's going to be a little bit more trickier. You know, tendon tissue takes a lot longer to remodel, mm. even though functionally things might be good and, and pain might have resolved, but you still have to be mindful of the background healing that's going on for, for several months and just not try to cut corners. And if you do cut corners for a for a, whether it's for an important game or a championship or or in, in 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 track and field, if it's for an important championship, um, it's just important just to keep the guard up even after that, just to make sure that you complete the rehab and um and maybe keep some ongoing maintenance in there um mm-hmm. like i'm not saying this, a calf injury is, is ideal for a splinter but um it's just they could probably get back training a little bit quicker and be able to do something maybe work around it a little bit better maybe than a distance runner might yeah um, up to a certain point obviously yeah good. yeah <clears throat> i had a i had a conversation with Jonas stodio
0: before uh, on the podcast actually and i had been kind of of this mindset for a long time around like get get people up to intense plyometric type movements um if it's returning to sport let's not say i don't don't really work with too many sprinters but just ga players or Mm. whatever soccer players anything like that and when i uh, my my kind of bias was when they're ready to return to running bring them in at 70%, 75%, bring them in nice and fast. And I've done a lot of plyometrics, but now the more I think about with, with calf injuries, maybe I'm missing more of the actually slower plotting running, which might actually be con- conditioning the calf. But for a yeah. hamstring, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm confusing myself, but do you, do you think that that slower running is important or would you spend maybe more time on the plyometric
1: side of things or both maybe a bit of both yeah i think for a field sport player they probably need a little bit of exposure to volume um because it's it's when they're it's when they're running when 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 the risk of re-injury happens you know when when they're still rehabbing um so yeah i think a little bit of exposure to volume for field sport players and an appropriate volume not you know it's not the more the better but an appropriate amount for an appropriate amount of time and maybe to a certain degree for a doing some of their like tempo type intervals like they're their the their, their 200s or the 250s or 300s um just to have a little bit of volume built up at a moderate intensity and so they got a little bit of conditioning there as well i mean just to give you an example the hamstring i've used to myself like i was 3 years ago i had a grade 2b hamstring um bicep fem strain before 4 weeks for marathon and i probably missed about 2 days running and I was able to manage it um, over a two-week period, two, two and a half week period, and I was actually pain-free. week out from the race, um, but if I was a sprinter, I know I wouldn't have got away with that. I would have been probably a, a four to six-week rehab, um, you know, time frame where I was able to manage it quite well in, in two and a half to three weeks, just given the demands of, of, of the sport and knowing that I wasn't going to be working the hamstring to full capacity and training. Um, obviously, from my long runs, would obviously when you get close to that toward the end of it. So. Um, so as one example as how I was able to work around that just given the nature of my event um, whereas if that was a cast train I probably would have been a bit more um caught out in terms of trying to get myself a race ready and, in time um, given mm-hmm. that the different demands in the calf for endurance running.
0: Mhm. Um can you can you talk us through your assessment a little bit or it, you can yeah. you can pick in terms of it doesn't even have to be a specific injury or issue um let's just talk yeah. about like lower leg, leg. it can yeah, it yeah. be calf Achilles but um what 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 should people be looking out for?
1: Yeah, so I suppose we might do a very quick clinical assessment. Um see how they hop, just give get a visual of how they hop. Um are they do a single leg like, hop, maybe go for 10 hops. Um, you know, do they do they do they rely on a lot of knee flexion to get off the ground or are they able to spring off the ankle? Um are they are they quite toy and and a bit kind of soft on contact, or are they able to dorsiflex and get some pre tension before they hit the ground and be more flat footed? Um is there a difference obviously between left and right or injured versus an injured limb? And then I'd maybe just get them to do a couple of slow heel raises and just, just get an eyeball of calf muscle tone and any signs of atrophy. And sometimes you might see some, some little, little differences, maybe a bit of atrophy to the medial gastro or even the, the lateral gastroc. Um Muscle, obviously you can't really eyeball the soleus properly. Um, you need your understanding for that. And then get them to see how they go about doing a single a calf raise. Just get them to do a single a calf raise without any cue. Just see, do they, you know, lock the foot and, and push through the first MTP joint um, or do they tend to spill out and, and roll off the outside of the foot? Do they, do they internally or externally rotate the foot, all those little things? And then am I might correct them and get to do it again. And then see how many good calf raises they can do off a, off a tempo of like one um one second up, one second down. So when they start to lose tempo or they start to bend the knee or lose control of the rear foot, I'll stop them and see how many reps they get to that, But 30 being a good number for a you know a fit, um, young sort of fit athletic uh, person. Um and then if, if, if there's anything more kind of foot or ankle related, I might maybe just get a measure of inversion or an inversion strength with a handheld dynamometer and maybe a big, toe, great, toe flexion as well to get a sort of a ballpark measure of foot intrinsic strength. And then in terms of more objective assessments, we would normally do an ankle test on most people with a lower limb injury, so um, lying face down straight leg at a speed of 30 degrees a second, um, and we can measure peak torque from the calves and the and the ants dorsiflexors and then we can measure torque at different angles so we can see what the torque is like at 10 degrees dorsiflexion at long muscle 10 unit lengths and a 20 degrees plantar flexion um, and that can give us some information so the peaks could be fairly symmetrical but they make some big differences in either inner or outer range uh, at mm. joint angles um, and then in some cases if, it, if it's more calf related or even achilles we, we'll do a CD calf iso as well and, and just get a measure of this soleus force capacity um, and then we'll do a hop test so maybe a double leg drop jump and a single leg drop jump and in some cases, then maybe a horizontal uh, plyometric test. And then as I was finding as well, we maybe just look at the running mechanics and see if there, that might, be, that might stand out, that might be worth um, tweaking or fine tuning a little bit. Are, are they long on the ground? Are they ploddy? Or are they springy? Or are they light? Or do they overstride and spend a long time on the ground? A lot of breaking forces? Um, are they kind of backside mechanics dominant or you know, have a good frontside side mechanics? So those are the things.
0: Um, just on the because there's yeah. actually lo- loads, loads I could ask you about all that stuff. Um, is that done barefoot? Yes. Yeah. 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 Is that done off a
1: step? No, I just do it at ground level first. Um, yeah, just a ground level first against the wall. Not just do, doing enough to balance against the wall, rather, rather leaning into the wall. And just seeing how they do the calf raise first, how they load to the foot. Um, you know, do, they, do they load to the first ray or do they, as they spill out to get outside the foot? and you know does the heel kind of end up spinning back in or does it, 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 it i try to cue them to well see how they do it first when they do then get to do it again and cue, and, and cue them i try to keep the heels sort of centered behind their um second third toe having like a, a tripod sort of switch, uh, foot foot mm-hmm. sensation uh, and then go from there okay uh
0: and then toes are you worried about like toes like gripping into the floor or staying longer
1: or anything like that I'd look for little things of like that too. Yeah, so they might rely on you know the, the toe flexors to make up for the calves can too by by gripping, or they, what they what they might do when the heel comes down, they might lift the toe again um, to make up for something, and that might indicate they might be lacking in almost the opposite, maybe lacking in toe flexor strength, flexor long longest, maybe some of the the the, the intrinsics across the big toe joint, and then I might look and see if, well is there is there a, a weak in, in, in great toe flexion, whether I test them manually or with the hand held Mm-hmm. And so trying build, build a profile of them and then, then see what's what's good, what's missing and what's relevant. And, and then I suppose have a focused rehab plan based off that.
0: Yeah. And say, say someone looks, say, say it looks okay, but they get 12 calf raises and 30 is like where we should mm-hmm. be aiming for. Are you, are you then, how, how are you training that? Are you, are you, let, let's just presume that's the only measurement that someone in clinic could get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you just OK, I'm going to address this weakness. How are you working towards that or programming? Are you are you just saying, OK, we're going to aim for as many reps as we can three or four days a week? Are we going to add load? Yeah. Are we going to add a step or what are we going to do?
1: Yeah, if, if they're definitely if, if they're starting to, to burn out after 12 phrases, yeah, you're working with a low baseline. So. Um I'd be a bit more gradual then, about progressing. Well, not like I'd progress, but I'd be a bit more conservative starting off. So it might even it could be something like it's still i to try and clock up a good bit of volume. So with X amount of calf raises. It could be still be 30 or 40, but in in in, in, in maybe multiple sets of that. So it might be like five sets of eight, yeah. you know, four sets of 10, four sets of twelve, you know, do left, do right, take 30 seconds, go again. So maybe a bit more endurance-based build build capacity first and then add weight then and and, and progress onto that. Mm-hmm. In some cases, I might then maybe hit work both ends of the spectrum, still work on, on, on the top end. So try to add weight and maybe do something a little bit heavier. And at the end, then maybe have like a, a a block of endurance or you know, type set, or maybe do it in the form of a circuit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, do single leg like car phrases, do CD car phrases, and then finish off with double leg like calf raises, and then take a break and then go back and do it again. So it depends on the athlete what their what their sport is, what their background is, where they're at, and um yeah, I suppose what's the best pathway to take, I think, where they need to be.
0: Would your guess be, I know you can't presume anything, but would your guess mm. be that that person would be pretty weak at acetic calf raise as well then?
1: A lot of the time, yes. Yeah. Um, You know, so that's why I just, I've obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll test everything or whatever I can just to make sure I don't miss something. Um, But it's certainly getting to do, if, if I get someone to to seated calf raise, put about half their body weight on their knee. So if they're a 60 kilo person, put a 30 kilo bit on their knee if they're getting tired of really working hard after 10 or 12 reps, well, then definitely soleus is um, not where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would be hitting that as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Saw a tweet recently. This is mm-hmm. uh, which, no good sentence. Starts with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: um, it was something like, I don't want to get it wrong now. It was something like the seated, a seated calf raise is not a better soleus exercise. It's just a worse gastroc exercise
1: uh yeah um there's been a few little little conversations about that now and just put it mildly but um look when you do a straight line raise, you're getting everything you are getting the soleus um but I suppose my rationale is you may not work you've got three calf muscles even the soleus you've got you you can almost argue you've got nearly four muscles within that muscle because they've got four different compartments. Mm -hmm. you know you've got tendon tissue surrounding it and you've got tendon tissue in the middle of it that's split the the compartments so it's hard to say that we don't look we've got a lot of blind spots too we don't know everything but And it's hard to say that a straight leg calf raise works everything, the whole muscle uniformly. So I think a little bit of variation is no harm and maybe beneficial, um, and you'll certainly do no harm. And, um, and I suppose just try to cover all basis. So you do see the calf raise, obviously that when when the the gastrocs cross the knee joint. Um, so when you bend the knee, that's going to reduce their force output, but the soleus doesn't cross the knee joint. So it's going to produce its maximum force regardless. So you're getting more of a isolated measure and I suppose the soleus has nowhere to hide and, um, you may work different parts of the, of the muscle maybe that you might might not quite get in a straight leg calf raise and particularly where you have shear so you've got the there's a good paper back in from a danish group um where they look compared the level of shear between straight leg and the calf raise so when you do a straight leg calf raise you get more shear towards the, the gastrox, somewhat a posterior shear when you do a knee calf raise you get more of anterior shear towards the soleus and particularly when you're dealing with a soleus strain where you've got tendon tissue involvement you know getting a little bit of strain on, on, on the can 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 have like a a transduction effect where you can stimulate a good sort of um, repair response. So I think I think it's just a bit of a variation um, covering what you can that I think might be relevant and as I said, no no one ever, nobody ever uh, no one ever died from the caprese. <laughs> <Not laughs> but insane that not that, that we know of. Not yeah. that we know of. But if I, feel, if I don't feel into to do it, I won't do it. Like I'm, if someone can get enough of a straightly calf raise and their you know, time is precious, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. But if, if we need to just make sure we're covering everything, or if I'm not sure, and if I've got a blind spot, and I said, look, I may as well just try and throw this at it as well, just to make sure they're not missing I think I'll, I'll add it in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I also come back to, I suppose, the role of the calf muscles in, in in running mechanics, you know, during acceleration, during jumping, and and even running the timing of peak force activation is different between the soleus and the gastrocs So the soleus peak force activation is around midstance. The peak force activation of the gastrocs is kind of towards just before toe off. So the soleus does have to sort of have a little bit of independence. um And there's a good study as well. Back, I uh, think it was a French study where they looked again the EMG is not as perfect, but they looked at the EMG activity up the of the lower limb muscles um, when you're looking at different percentage of body weight on an altitude treadmill. And the deactivation of the soleus mirrored the deactivation of the vasti muscles when at around sixty and eighty percent body weight, whereas the gastrocs were affected differently. So that tells me that the soleus has a, has some independence from the gastroc and has probably can have a closer relationship when you are trying to support against gravity. Um, have a, has a closer relationship with the with the, with the vasti muscles. Um, and so,
0: uh, and uh, the gastroc would have. Correct me if I am wrong. Now higher
1: levels of preactivation. Is that right? Um, I suppose it depends what you do before you hit the ground. So I think if you're if you're hopping um, or if you're sprinting and you have active dorsiflexion, you're, you're, you're getting length on the muscle 10 unit and you're getting area recruitment of the, certainly the gastric muscles anyway. And I mean, I, I can't say you get more, it'd be more so than the soleus. I think if you've any length on the muscle ten unit and mm-hmm. um, you're getting area recruitment of, of that muscle or better preactivation of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but the soleus then is much
0: stronger is this yeah it's, it's a bigger force producer yeah mm-hmm. okay okay just in, in, in my mind i'm like which my mind is a mess but is uh like i i would have always looked at it as the gastro can contract faster and then the soleus needs time to to, to build tension
1: you're right no no you're right because um yeah as i said the, the, the soleus can so if you're familiar with i suppose teaching mechanics you got your force relationship you got your force velocity relationship so the soleus can adjust to stay in its optimal region of the force velocity curve. So it's able to stay in that sort of close to isometric region better. Whereas a gas truck has a very has a, has a very, very narrow region to do that. And, and when you're doing fast contractions, it will sort of miss that region. Um, and it can fatigue that a little bit quicker. And then some people of the gas truck when it, in, on average, it's it can be more close to the 50-50, you know, type one, type two muscle, muscle fiber type. And as sprinters, it probably are more obviously more more fast with dominant in the gas truck muscles. So yeah, the, the, there is probably slight differences there. Mm-hmm. That's but right, obviously right. it can vary from person to person. Yeah.
0: Um I know we're bouncing around, but just back to the st- I know I'm gonna ask you a question that is, is a terrible question that you probably won't want to answer, but Both if you can only choose, <laughs> but I'm allowed to ask these questions I need to <laughs> uh if 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 back to the tweet debate tweet debate kind of thing, if yeah. you could only use if you could only use one calf phrase, a standing or a seated one, you're not allowed to say it depends or whatever. Yeah or for everyone, which one would you pick? That's standing. Funny. Okay. You cover everything, you know. So uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think it, it it is it is helpful to hear someone like you yeah. say something like that for people who are not necessarily who just want to get a bit of everything in in, in their training.
1: Um yeah. you know, so okay, yeah. that, is, that is that is very helpful. And yeah. okay. I think I think just people have maybe over the years, you know, um like inadvertently maybe just misinterpreted things and you know, there's almost like a a myth or a belief or a misconception that you can only work the soleus doing a bent knee or a seated calf raise, which isn't true. You know, you can work it. I think I feel myself. My gut instinct is you can work it a little bit differently uh, and work different parts of the muscle or stress different parts of the, of the muscle. But a the calf raise, you might quite get standing. um But in my case, if someone has a soleus strain, I'll definitely put the kitchen to it. If someone's calf, if someone's calf is weak and the soleus is weak, so if I test them straight leg and bent knee, and even the bent knee is is, is quite weak, you know, I'll I'll throw a seated calf raise at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, do we make the same argument about you know hamstrings? You know, do we? you getting all your hamstrings You do a deadlift, but if you know, does anyone argue against doing Nordic or a two-time or a raise or anything else to, you know, hit, hit add an extra stimulus to the hamstring, you know, I don't hear the same debates about that. So,
0: Yeah, no, you're right. It makes sense. It makes sense to do yeah. your RDLs and your Nordics and all your different
1: stuff. So It's just yeah. context is key. You know, it's just getting your reasoning and your logic um, in order, you know, and then you can do whatever you, what you mm-hmm. feel is right.
0: And assessment wise, if someone didn't have access to any force plates or any mm. anything like that, um, obviously the, that standing calf raise um, with the metronome or the one up, one yeah. down or whatever is is good.
1: Anything Anything else? Uh, look, I think if you have a leg press, you can get a, a ballpark measure to so see how much you can hold um, for five or six seconds. You get a rough measure of isometric calf strength, you know, so um, if you have a horizontal leg press you know if you're if you're able to hold twice your body weight in one leg for six seconds without dropping into too much dorsiflexion if you can hold a, a mid-range plantar flex angle or at least hold a neutral ankle position with the ball of the foot on, on the plate and um, that's a good measure of calf strength isometric strength mm-hmm. or if you have a smith machine see what you can hold as well so you, obviously you've got your own body weight as well so you if you can you know hold maybe one and a half times your body weight or that or that on, on, for six seconds um, that'd be a good, good measure mm-hmm. and then similar, as i mentioned there when i see the calf raise and again this is purely arbitrary but if you can put half or two-thirds of your body weight on your knee and do more than 20, 25 reps. To me, just from the clinical experience, it's probably a good measure of, of soleus endurance capacity.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you um, in the seated one? Are you using a step there? And are you in much or what kind of what amount of dorsiflexion would you put someone in?
1: As much as I can, yeah. So uh, you mean the isometric one, the force bit? Uh,
0: no, just if I'm doing a seated, if I'm just yeah, doing yeah, a yeah. calf raise.
1: Either way, yeah. I think try and start with dorsiflexion. So um, yeah, so at least ten degrees or fifteen degrees dorsiflexion, um, and that's where soleus. Well, you know, uh, between ten and twenty levels where soleus force capacity is kind of maximized where, where, where you've got longer tissue length. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and even as it's fun, it's, it's even when someone comes in as a sore Achilles, for example, and even if it's if it's an insertional Achilles tendonopathy, really where you know the dorsiflexion is going to be at a, at a bit more compressive loads, um, they can still tolerate to see the calf. Raise, loading into dorsiflexion when when they, when they can't do it standing, so it's just a nice way to kind of work around it as well. But if, if there's a limiting factor, um, they can they can still because you've only got maybe one, one one muscle that's doing most of the work in that seated position as opposed to all three muscles. Why mm-hmm. yeah. can you explain why they can tolerate it? Is there less
0: compression in the seated position?
1: Yeah, obviously you, you don't you might have the same tension from the gastroc and um, you know in, in a seated as, as you would standing, so you've you've, you've less of a pull on, on the tendon. So you got you got those three muscles that are that um, fuse to form the Achilles tendon and they kind of crisscross around each other and they rotate um, before they insert at, at, at the heels. So um, if you're taking away tension, some of that tension away from, from two of those muscles, uh, it might be more tolerable for some people. Mm-hmm. um what it, it might have a, it might be sore loading into dorsiflexion standing
0: hey guys david here just a very quick break from the show just want to remind you dgr interactive is there our members only platform we have 830 coaches and therapists on there learning with us every week the, the videos are only about 10 minutes long very short and sharp practical information to teach you about movement biomechanics rehab strength training assessments all of those things if you're a movement professional i think you'll love it some people have said it's the best biomechanics education platform in the world mostly i have said that but other people have said it as well so jump on the link is in the show notes dgr interactive you know what the standing calf is uh for someone with an insertional? Mm-hmm. would you i think i asked peter maliaris something similar but would you um would you try and slowly work them into more dorsiflexion or would you just be happy keeping them and just build them more and more strength or does uh, it very much depend
1: yeah look if like they're an having- athletic Person, um, they you want to be able to get to the point where they can handle that dorsiflexion and, and those compressive loads again. So it's just trying to, what's the best way to get them there? So if they're really sore and sensitive, I would start, I I keep them in a range. So keep them doing maybe isometrics, uh start them off at isometrics uh, in a plant position. So um up on two and hold on one, and then maybe use that if they really sore, use that use the, the uninjured leg to come out of it again. Um and then I might just do normal sort of concentric eccentric heel raise, but again, starting from 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 neutral. Um, or if they're really sore, maybe just put a heel wedge under them and, and just, just again, work to an arrangement um, in, in, in a sort of an isotonic uh, contraction type. And when they can, then maybe go, you know, go, go like full concentric, eccentric um, for in, in neutral, and, and then when they can, um, add a block and then load them to dorsiflexion. So it's just you want to make sure they're fairly calm before you load, load them to dorsiflexion, mm-hmm. um, so that there's no going back then once you do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it makes sense to try at least because, well, to me, to me, because they're going to be there when they're. <laughs>
1: If when you're playing sport or something like that. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um just finding the right entry point, you know, that doesn't annoy the tendon too much or that the, the insertion, or obviously if they've got a, a haggland deformity or a retroclocanea bursitis, that adds an extra layer of that adds an extra challenge too. So um so just not to annoy things too much until it's a bit more settled.
0: hmm Would you would you look at um foot mobility for want of a better term? Um mm. And especially like rear foot movement for those type of people and mid foot movement.
1: Yeah. Um, I certainly try and just build a profile of them just so, you know, some, you know, there's some can be like a, you know, obviously you've got your, 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 your cavus and your planus type, type of foot types. You, you can have like a stiff cavus foot where they just stay in supination the whole time. And this, they can't unlock the foot. And if that's like in both sides, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, try to exhaust too much time trying to change that because i think you're just not going to get as much for the time that you're putting in and, and, and the small maybe if even any gains you want to get out of it i'm not sure is it the best use of time if, if you're having to prioritize mm-hmm. um if they've got a flexible cable foot where they can unlock but well, then you've got a bit, bit more you can probably work with and then on the flip side if, they, if they're a pure like you know flat foot um i definitely try and hit their foot intrinsics and, and, and foot strengths and, and and that just to try and support them that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, like I would definitely take that into account um, when when I'm rehabbing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I found I found some benefit with the insertion insertional people.
0: Again, like this is all anecdotal, obviously, but mm-hmm. just with um, just with working on that heel because I, I do I do see a lot of them have like a very i would call it like a posterior tilted calcaneus it's really yeah it's really tucked under but and then a, a very a very high arch or not necessarily high but like very a very stiff midfoot and yeah i found some benefit in actually getting them bones opening up but mm. but but some people you're right like some people it's just it just won't change or yeah. won't yeah. change very much at all yeah it, it really oh won't. look if you can i think
1: when i'm good you know yeah yeah it's it's I suppose I'm just trying to weigh up what, what's what's the best use of my time here, you know, when you've got a certain amount of time with, with a patient and mm-hmm. you know what's the priorities and you know. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but and it's usually a... for for me, it's usually
0: th- those type of people that I'm doing that with have spent two years doing calf work. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 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 <laughs> it's obvious that they're very strong there, they've done, yeah. you know, done a lot of work there, and then they're usually coming to me to, to try and so like I have that bit of buy-in for them to work on that bit of foot stuff because they're already yeah. worked on and and I, I have seen really good changes with that but then sometimes I wonder if it's just like they're getting even just getting the knee rocking forward and, and back and getting the arch moving like they're still getting a nice load on the soleus and there's maybe a little bit of a rotational component there because we're encouraging some pronation so I don't I, I don't want to put my eggs in the basket of saying it's the foot movement that's changing it rather than Whatever else that could be going
1: Yeah. But I think that might influence it might help to vary the, add some variation to how the tissue is loaded or, or vary the, the the loading patterns around, around the different muscles. Because mm-hmm. if if you could have a rigid foot and the same tissue gets stressed over and over again the same way, you know, whereas if you can get a little bit more flexibility in the foot, um, you know, you, you can kind of vary where the, the, the site of stress, I suppose, are um so the same tissue isn't taking the same load the whole the same way the whole time. Mm-hmm. So no, uh, I think there's, there's there's something in that. Um, and in the same
0: regard, then someone asked me this question recently with regards to say, say a calf raise and then um, or a, a straight a straight a straight knee one standing one off a, off a step, and they said, would you want or what would you want to see the foot doing, and would you maybe encourage pronation as they as they went down into the eccentric, down into the bottom position, um, mm. and what, my answer was not necessarily no i would like to see a bit of rear foot like kind of inversion or a little bit of supination mm-hmm. towards yeah. the top and then maybe yeah. more neutral as they go down what would yeah.
1: you think there exactly like that yeah so that's when, when i start off i normally do start off doing like normal calf raises even without the step first just from the ground with the shoes off just to try and get those foot mechanics right you know get them get them pushing through the through the first ray and locking the foot um and getting that supination as, as the as the lift um and when you're doing that as well you're you're, you're getting that you're, you're training the foot. you get the foot and things involved and you're also getting good um good activation of the tip post and, and the peroneals is there like, like a stir up to try and control that the foot as well so um so yeah no i'd definitely be, be, be encouraging um you know supination at the top and then yeah just back to neutral at, at the bottom and then especially with the drop of the step yeah just whatever like i let I, I normally just use a, a block maybe that's um when they might drop into maybe 10, 15 degrees dorsiflex, so let the heel touch the ground softly and then back up again. Mm-hmm. And from an Achilles point of view, you're going to get more force through the tendon in those dorsiflex position if, if you're pushing out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think of a wedge? Um so like like a squat ramp or a little wedge or something like that, where they're they can do their where they can do their calf raise, the like the eccentric portion so the toes are actually staying long rather than be coming off the edge of a step and they're kind of almost the toes that you see them flexing into the step a little bit yeah. as the heat drops down. What, what do you, what do you think they are? Or does it matter? Uh,
1: no, I, um, no, I, I like the idea of doing that. Um, it's not something I, unless someone is really kind of, you know, clawing their toes. Um, mm-hmm. I do like to try and keep the toes long. Um, And you will, even if even if they are trying to claw the ground, um, if they can do it with their toes long, they're, they're 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 going to really kind of work out the, the foot intrinsics a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think no no harm. Okay,
0: um, I'm, pe- I'm really peppered questions about you. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, You're right. Uh, I was going to say I was going to ask something else there. If someone was dropping into a, like a decent amount of pronation, let's say, or kind of eversion as they drop down in that in that eccentric portion of the calf raise, is are, are you thinking is there like a certain thing that you're thinking? Okay, they have a bit of weak or might have a little bit of weakness in a certain part of the muscle, or is it like okay? I'll just well, let's presume you've cued them, but they just keep doing it. So like, what what are you
1: thinking is weak there? All right. Uh, I would say the foot. Yeah, the, the, the foot. Yeah. So and tip post and 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 the sort of the the, the main foot intrinsics and the medial side. Mm-hmm. Um And so definitely maybe be, be be certainly assess foot strength and see is that is it a factor as relevant or the is there output lower than, than you'd like them to be and then yeah definitely add some some foot strength in, in there as well and then sort of try to bring that back into your movement and see can they can they control it better then. Okay. So I suppose just try to I suppose unpack and see what the limit factor is. And yeah, uh, I would suspect in that case it'll be, be the foot. So um, yeah, I'd flex total flexor strength and maybe foot inversion strength. Yeah. And um, if that's the case, then you yeah, add some tip post and or maybe just when you're doing the car for is, um, you know, and again I'd get a nice little bit of um, carryover, maybe just adding some yeast into it. Um, put your pads on, on on the medial arch and try and get the foot, get a bit of activation of the foot muscles or stimulation to them. Mm. And maybe put a band around the foot to try and um, activate tip posts So bring it to the movement, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, you, you, I think you can work around that way as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's really interesting. Um, foot strength stuff.
0: Is there any kind of easy wins that you'd be thinking there? What, what type of stuff would you,
1: would, you, would you use with someone? What type of exercises? <laughs> oh, it's an exercise. Yeah. yeah, um, sorry, yeah. No, you're going to be simple like um, just standing, weight bearing on one leg and foot in a block. With, with the first MTP joint on the block and then the big toe hanging off and just put a band around their big toe at a slight angle. So they're kind of pulling vertical and, and slightly anterior from that and then trying to resist against that. So just curling the toe down and trying to cue a straight toe as they curl down and then let the toe come all the way up. So I kind of cue them to wave at the wall in front of them. Um, so that would be kind of one of the main simple sort of go-tos for, for foot intrinsics. Is that, no straight,
0: is that a straight knee?
1: Straight knee, yeah, yeah.
0: And they're so, um, they're so they're standing on a block, straight knee,
1: hands against the wall or something for balance. Yeah, yeah. or if on a yeah. What I often do is if they're in a gym, just just wrap the band around the around the barbell, have the barbell down about hip level, wrap the bar, band, strong turn band and one of your strength bands around that, mm-hmm. um, and then have the foot the block back a little bit, so they're kind of standing a little bit away from us, so that so the band is at an angle um and then just curl them yeah push the toe down with a straight toe as best they can it will, will curve you. you're trying to delay that as long as possible mm. and let the toe come up straight so try and cue them to have a long straight toe at the top so let, let the big toe into dorsiflexion and they should get a good burn on the arch doing the medial arch doing that even around the around the, the first mtp joint um maybe using the slider and doing some like short foot exercises and try and get a good burn in the arch doing some toe spreads um and then yeah so and then maybe doing some like quarter heel raise holes um, with a bit of perturbation from a band, um, trying to balance on one leg, um, which is a bit more more of a of, a, of a, an advanced progression. But when they get to that point and they can do it quite well, but weight and everything else, they're they're in a good place. Yeah. And then as I said sometimes then I might just use some e- um e-stim machine as well, just to get some extra stimulation and maybe get that, bring it into some of those sort of um dynamic movements or balancing movements. mm
2: mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, that's really good. I hadn't seen the the toe
1: one in standing before. So that's definitely something. That's it's a very simple nice. I, I suppose I'd see, we see a lot of maybe non athletic people with, with plantar fascia, uh, plantar fascia pain and plantar fasciopathy. So uh, you look for a very, very simple exercise they can do at home. So use the Hiltar band, um, wrap around the banister of the stairs. And that's when you can do anywhere uh, and get some good uh, good carryover from it. Mm-hmm. And if you have to really sort of maybe start off with a heel, a heel flat on the ground, and if you want to really challenge the to intrinsics, maybe do it in a slight heel rest position mm. and plantar flexion to it. Yeah, so I've <laughs> do, I've done
0: some of the toe stuff. Hmm. i usually do it more in like in well even if i'm just isolating the big toe, i would do it like in a, in a seated position but actually that sounds way better
1: yeah just bring some some gravity anti-gravity into it as well like so yeah um when, when, you're, when the weight bearing and yeah because uh, we know from some of the work in australia and, and um luke kelly's some of his work um where they've looked at this was the timing of foot intrinsic muscle recruitment is that sort of Toe off position when you're in a heel raise position, that's where, the, where they're, they're maximally activated. More so than mid stance, you know, mm-hmm. their, their biggest role is probably more so to lock the foot for toe off mm-hmm. as opposed to supporting the arch during, during mid stance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's I suppose my, my principle behind. Okay. Um,
0: awesome, yeah, love it. Uh, plyometric wise, is there is there somewhere you would start with someone then? again, like just, uh, any kind of a lower limb calf Achilles endopathy, I'll leave you to choose, or you can just keep mm. it broad if you want, but is there a, is there, is there a progression you're looking for, um, from someone before you would return them to slower running or, or anything like that or are, are things that would, you would usually want to take off.
1: Yeah. I mean, at, at least be able to tolerate it and be reasonably competent doing double leg hops, like double leg plug hops. Um, so let me start with that. Um, and if they're not perfect doing them, I'd maybe spend time just, just um, yeah, improving those, making them, making them smoother on the ground, getting a good bounce, um, trying to spring off the ankle. If they're quite good at that and, and, they're, and they're able to try a single leg hops, and the reason we sound at like that, i start them with that. So just, again, trying to find the entry point. But yeah, like I suppose my, my basic sequence would be like double leg pogos um, in place and then going forwards, backwards, side to side. So, like you're all, just through them in series um, and then do a single leg. So build a little bit of capacity, but just more more from a skill point of view and capacity point of view rather than going all out. Uh, when they, and when they're when they're they're tolerable to that, then maybe add, add more intensity. Maybe bring in drop jumps, hurdle hops. Uh, maybe do the pole with more maximum effort. we really trying to get maximize air time, shorten contact time, um, double leg, single leg. Um, yeah, and it's a drop jumps, uh, mini hurdle rebounds or hops, um, and then maybe doing more bounds or hops for distance. Uh, you know, so. Uh, yeah, that'd be sort of like a, a broad overview of, of, of how it um of, of my sort of telemetric pathway. Mm-hmm. Um borrowing, borrowing a little bit from one of who people have influenced me over the years. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, as we all do. <laughs> of course. Um the
0: the and then gateways, what what would I know you kind of mentioned it earlier, but when you're what would get you to start to think okay i need to start looking at someone's someone's gate here like we've we've gone through a lot of steps and actually they returned back to running they had a flare-up but it didn't seem like there was a huge amount of load involved or you know the uh, in theory they should have been able to handle that um is that where you're starting to think okay i need to have a look at
1: actually what what weight are you running here yeah i generally look at it anyway Um if they're if they're running based least whatever sport they are like i definitely look at the running and just to see just get it i suppose a uh, I suppose a, 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 a complete profile of, of of them, you know, how they move and 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 what their strength like is and, and reactive strength like not as well. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I just look, look at the main features in sagittal and frontal planes. So sagittal plane, just what, what's their angles like to hit the ground, you know, do they land with a vertical shin, um, foot naturally far in front of the centre mass, they a fairly upright like, through the torso, and what's their control like to a stance? Do they really drop into like a more flexed angles, you know, and, and just spend a long time on the ground? And, you know, do they get good flight and then when, when they push off? And then the frontal plane, then just look at maybe from the hips down, um, You know, do they have contralateral hip drop? Do they have poor control of valgus? Um, do they have poor control of, of, of rear version Um, And then, you know, look at that and then, and then see, does it match up to some minor assessments? And then if it's poor control of rear version reversion, we'll then be looking at ankle stiffness and foot strength and calf strength as well. And, and, and um, you know, trying to, to, to work through those. Um, yeah. There's a lot. In a, to get, to get. Uh, yeah, yeah, That's a broad overview. Yeah, no, 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 the, no. Main, the main things that I'd, I'd, be, I'd be looking at. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, I only change what, what, what's because again, when you, when you interfere with a, with, a, with a, an experienced runner gate, you know, that there's a cost of that and you have to sort of weigh up is, is it worth it? Yeah, so sometimes I might just leave well one off alone if I don't feel it's, it's, it's relevant. But yeah. if someone has, if some of them are working, I suppose, on the extremes or outside of the, to see the term the bandwidth that they can probably get away with, I'd probably try to bring them back a little bit, give them a little bit of room for Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody's textbook perfect you know but this I suppose, you know if it's this broad features you kind of want you want people to kind of be within you know and, and I suppose just how much they can get away with
0: mm-hmm. what about what about someone who's in season Colin with a, an Achilles like a, a nasty enough Achilles tendinopathy and it feels like they've you, you can't can't really change how much load they're doing on a given week yeah um, any any clinical pearls for me on that one
1: yeah tricky I've actually had some good good uh experiences like could track at least in season who've had a fair up and managed that quite well now one or two have had to start with a few races but they're still able to have a storm season but had a few tricky ones with some tricky club and um, get football players mm. um where you know it was pretty much it's coach season and then when club season starts, it was pretty much all, all, all go like um and that's I suppose those who are managing Achilles and that before that it was a perfect storm and, and, and how, when you're playing games and you're just trying to manage it from one game to the next and trying to cut corners and training so you're, you're ready for the next game it's not ideal mm-hmm. from the tenant point of view you're, you're just going to dig yourself deeper into a hole so um ideally you want to get to the point where even if you have a history of achilles tendonopathy, you have a maintenance program in place that will get you two in season you're able to keep the keep the tendon and calf load and topped up just enough you know to give it that stimulus without overcooking things mm-hmm. and maybe you might need to you know it's hard in the team environment to have more modified um ring loads or, or in, in individual sport like athletics you can you know you've got the scope then to 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 be flexible to training days and, and, and the timing of some of your sessions. Yeah. So yeah I think the sport is probably key here and um what the athlete based on is and their history. Yeah. And yeah. I think I've seen I've seen recently with a lot of
0: athletes that they they're they're getting very educated themselves, but and and you yeah. start to see people who feel benefits. So they have an Achilles tendinopathy, and they feel benefits from some heavy, heavy slower heavy loading or iso- isometric loading or whatever in season. And so they start to do it every day and twice a day and three times yeah. a day. Uh, you think
1: too much, maybe. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, um, to do a properly, it should be too hard to do every day. You know he should almost treat you like interval training you know you're doing training every day or if you are you're, you're doing something wrong um so if you have if you're in pre-season look at if you're reasonably sound strength and and and, and you know plyometric base like twice a week is probably enough and if you're in season with games each week you know once a week just doing two or three sort of key exercises is probably enough to, to get to two, you know eight to ten weeks depending on i suppose your your, your baseline mm-hmm. um but just just getting the time you right and writing and the dosage right mm-hmm. Uh, and get to the point where you've you've done your preseason work and you're and you're and you're, you've you know you're, you've loaded up in advance that you just only that you only need to just do, do maintenance work mm-hmm. when you when you're at that sort of peak peak of your season.
0: Yeah, because you're still stressing the area and you're starting to stress the area. Yeah, more training after training
1: and every single day. No, I wasn't saying that. Like uh, um some people might benefit, and again, the research is a bit mixed in this. But I, anecdotally, like some people do benefit from doing some like. Moderate intensity, long duration, isometric holds as part of the warm up to get some analgesic effect. Whatever the mechanism is there, um so if, if you know if someone tries and 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 they, and they find they can go about their session and and be fairly pain free, you know, I certainly bring that into the program. That can be done a bit more often, so that's not going to stress the system as much. But if you're doing your really short, heavy isometrics or eccentrics or whatever else like that, is a bit more of a stress in the body and mm-hmm. not something you want to be doing every day, or mm-hmm. multiple times a day.
0: My my thoughts on the analgesic effect there before before training and this is like mm-hmm. i i this is just cuz i had Achilles enthesopathy and patellar tendonopathy mm-hmm. very nasty actually and um mm. my my thoughts on that were actually when i when i went out and trained if i didn't do my isometrics beforehand like i would still get the analgesic effect just from warming up anyway for 5 minutes mm-hmm. which is just going for a jog so it's going yeah. to, it's, it's going to kick in eventually but it it got to a stage where like the pain, I I I didn't want to feel that when I when I started my warm up. So I would mm-hmm. do my isometrics in the dressing room beforehand, and actually I felt a bit better going out there from the beginning. And maybe there was some kind of activation that started to occur yeah. and 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 was helpful throughout that training session. Yeah, versus when and this this could be completely wrong and it probably is but versus when i actually warmed up in pain it felt like my maybe my mechanics on my gait on my body was a little bit afraid of that for the whole training session versus yeah but it was less muscle activation throughout but i don't i, I obviously i obviously i don't know when you can't measure
1: it no, since you know i mean if you're one for for a big game or, or, or for training and instead of critical time of the season you know you certainly want to be dealing with pain in the back of your mind you know it's going to have a little bit of a an impact there, so I so suppose if you could deal with that before your warm up, and I suppose the warm up is very much a personal thing, you know. So, and it's no hard and fast rules, but it's what makes you feel good doing the activity you want to do. So, you know, um, so I suppose everyone has their own individual strategy, or you know, some people do. So, um, if something if someone finds that it works, even if it doesn't make complete sense, you know, whatever, maybe if it's placebo, by all means, do it, you know, you'll, you'll hopefully do no harm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: can I ask you why Achilles and Calf? why Why did you get? So interesting in mm-hmm. that. Because I know you're a I know you're a walker, obviously. Yeah. Um so but I imagine there's not too many. I could be wrong, you know. I don't know anything about very little about the sport, but I imagine there's yep. not too many
1: calf and Achilles injuries. Not so much, no. Um I had maybe one or two Achilles issues in the past. Um might have had one source Achilles tend to not be when I was really young now, maybe about 1920, but it wouldn't be a common injury in racewalk and be a lot more to a nasty tibialis anterior tina synovitis uh, one year which kept me for three months on and off mm-hmm. uh hamstrings hip and growing area would take a lot more more load um so yeah no when i started working in the clinic almost nine years ago um dealing a lot with running injuries and would have seen a lot of different types of calf injuries a lot of kind of exertion type calf pain that maybe 10 or 15 years ago would have been tasked by this compartment syndrome but that's not that's not the case now because even the test to do that is not not ideal so tend to be just um people with poor calf condition or poor calf capacity and, and 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 overloading them and they usually do respond quite well most of them would respond quite well to um you know to to modified load and then and building up calf capacity um obviously if there's a few outliers who don't that's we have to sort of delve a little bit deeper. Um but yeah that kind of got me interested in, in, in the role of the calf and running and at the same time I was I just retired from racewalking that around that time and I was doing a bit of running to keep fit and then I suppose got a bit more competitive at my own level. Um, so, got more of an understanding of the role of the, of the calf in, in, in running, and I suppose Achilles tendon stiffness in terms of and its relationship running economy. Um, and I also then was seeing a few Achilles these doing quite well with them, and I suppose generated a bit of an interest in them. And, and I suppose took off from there. And then I suppose when I was finished my master's, um, I started thinking more towards my PhD um, proposal. And yeah, it was kind of Achilles Achilles tendon focus. So.
0: Um, how was your transition from
1: walking to running? Um, a lot more relaxed. Um, <laughs> obviously when I was raised walking, I was training full time. It was um, you know, there's was, was bigger things at stake, whereas initially I suppose I retired at 31, so just quite young. So um just wanted to keep fit. I was always active anyway. So but I just found it hard to run, go for a run without having to focus. So I missed that sort of that sort of competitive and mm-hmm. um, the competitiveness so um, so I had to sort of target a 5k or a 10k and then notice people started targeting one marathon a year and then now I'm trying to do maybe but well, sometimes when I can twice twice the two markets a year mm-hmm. Um, but like the training is a lot more relaxed um, and a lot more to juggle at home too but um no I, I enjoy it you know I just was curious to see what I can do with 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 the time and and, and I, I have you know over the next year or two before the things I supposed to take over but yeah. um gateways did you have to make like any conscious kind of changes to yeah um yeah look i suppose i used to be stuck to the ground so i suppose um definitely my metrics i did a lot of work on that and and, and hopefully i've got some carryover to running and then obviously the more folks that cast runs over the years so um yeah if i was myself running back in 2014 versus now i'm sure there's a bit of a difference mm-hmm. uh, maybe people would have commented like you know just on my my running gate that I was uh, quite low. Someone maybe has mentioned that it looked like uh looked like a trot if you just come off a bike or uh, I didn't have an Iron Man or whatever. So <laughs> had that sort of heavy sort of you know um yeah awkward look. But anyway, um mm-hmm.
0: there's
1: only so much I can change now but
0: your body is just programmed to to move. You've got yeah. so many hours moving in one way. Exactly. Yeah yeah yeah. Um Okay. That's, that's brilliant. One, one, one last question, actually. Um, is there any, is there any research out there or any thoughts on Achilles specifically, maybe calf as well, but people who maybe hit the gym and do a lot of, a lot of, um, put on, put on a decent amount of muscle and start to pick up tendinopathy, Achilles issues, calf issues, anything like that, or like even body weight, someone is a Mm -hmm. little bit heavier than they should be.
1: Uh, well there's, there's two different things there if someone has a well developed muscle more so than a well developed tendon that is an issue and I suppose it's, it's relevant there's been some good studies done in Germany on um, adolescent volleyball players who develop patella tendinopathy obviously jumping type sports would be a hot spot for that and when you go to adolescence and you get you know big development or rapid, more rapid development of muscles um, more so than tendon that that, that can um, can predispose some people to, to patella tendinopathy so in terms of calf and achilles one of the biggest blind spots, I suppose, is the research now is kind point towards like there's an optimal level of tendon strain, like between four and a half and seven percent where the tendon, which is the ideal conditions for the tendon to get stiffer and, and to adapt positively. And it's finding the right amount of muscle force to, to hit that strain. So some people might be super strong and when they're doing calf work, they may overshoot it. Some people might be strong enough and might be able to get that four 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 and a half or five percent strain and might be able to get the stimulus. So um, I think the next step, I suppose, for me, post PhD is, is to be able to profile someone um to know how much muscle force they need from the calf to, to, to get that sort of optimal level of strain so yes i think if, if you're if you can nearly be too strong for your tendon and when you're trying to when you're doing calf work um you get maybe strains of maybe nine or ten percent which might be might be ideal for getting positive adaptations and then i suppose if someone is i suppose the flip side if someone is maybe has high you know um maybe poor body composition maybe you on the obese side of things other factors then you've got to take into account you know whole body factors so um tendons obviously tendons are it's like an organ It's sensitive to other things on the body so if someone is predisposed to you know um poor regulation of blood sugars um maybe has a history of you know cardiovascular disease in their family um any sort of inflammatory disease you know that that they're, they're especially in the older people who may be past age of 30 that that's when those sort of whole body um factors or conditions can can also be a be a a player um in developing tendinopathy Mm. and that might need a a broader approach but you're probably thinking more the the older athletes or maybe the the less athletic people um of sort of middle age or getting into middle age Mm -hmm. it's
0: really interesting Mm. um very very interesting um any supplementation um for for i know you probably get asked that all the time
1: oh yeah. yeah yeah i mean i mean the research is still a little bit um a little bit limited, but you know, I, I would yeah, I would maybe encourage people to supplement with collagen and, and vitamin C. Um, as I said, certainly it'll do no harm. It might make have a small effect in, in theory. Um, and I suppose if they're on top of their protein intake throughout the day um, as well. And then, I mean, there's one good study actually in British athletics where they looked at their athletes on the program who had 10 and looked at their blood profile and a lot of them were deficient in magnesium. So there might be something in that. And obviously zinc. Well, when you're trying to adapt a tendon um to normal load or to rehab um you know you have a lot of enzyme reactions going on and zinc is is, is an important uh, mineral to, to support enzyme reactions so maybe supplemental zinc as well during during periods of tendon load if you're trying to get positive responses might might do no harm mm-hmm. okay brilliant um
0: colin thank you so much really appreciate it i know it was a it was a messy podcast because I just peppered you with questions I actually um, said before it was it's not like an interviewee style, but actually it's turned uh, out to be um because uh I value your work and and everything you're doing uh a lot so I really I really appreciate you making the time to come on and um and being just just doing some great work out there so I think it's going to be huge and I'm looking forward to seeing your your journey um as you go on and obviously as your research is is
1: released and stuff so um thank you so much. No, thanks so much, David, for having me on. I uh, enjoyed the conversation and, um, yeah, hope, hope, hope you have a great Christmas. Uh, is there anywhere that you would like people to go to
0: check you out, find you, a Twitter, Instagram, website, anything like that?
1: Yeah, no, um, I suppose the, the main ones uh, my Twitter handle is, is my name. So, Colin Griffin. Um, Instagram is Colin Griffin50K. And, yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So, they'd be the main three. Okay, and um, I have a website as well, ColinGriser. But um, it's it's a bit basic at the moment, so if you do, do a bit more with that next year, maybe hopefully share more useful stuff. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it.
0: Um. Okay. I'll put all those links in the show notes for everyone and they can they can check it out. So Colin, thank you so much. Hey everyone, David here again. I hope you really enjoyed the episode with Colin. Um, I thought it was brilliant. Lots, gave me lots to think about, um, cleared up a few things in my head. So I want to say thanks to Colin for coming on. And obviously thanks to everyone else for listening. If you liked it, maybe you can give it a share for us. And then one last thing, if you like... Learning about biomechanics, you don't maybe have a ton of time, but you have 10, 15 minutes every week, then that's where we have 830 coaches and therapists, just movement professionals who are interested in learning about biomechanics, rehab, strength training. Uh, We have a full foot and ankle section, foot and ankle and Achilles and calf section there that kind of digs into the biomechanics of the feet, the gait cycle, pronation and supination practicals. Uh, what I would do to get my, with my clients to get like their heel moving better, their midfoot moving better, ankle rehab. These are all just short, sharp videos, 10, 15 minutes long, uh, Super designed to be super practical. You can take the information away straight away, train your coaches, use the stuff with your clients, and um, hopefully at the end of the day, just get better results for them and enjoy your work a little bit more as a result so djr interactive the link is in the show notes and again thank you so much for listening really appreciate it really appreciate colin coming on and um yeah i will hopefully have another great episode maybe next week or whatever and um chat to you guys soon